Hey everyone, welcome to the Pursuit of Service podcast. Really excited about this episode. I'm introducing you to a friend of mine, Yuma Barnett, who is a transitioning, that means retiring active duty army ranger. I can tell you from my time volunteering with the 75th Ranger Regiment that Yuma is well-respected and has a long and storied career. He also is the host of his own podcast called the Leading with Vulnerability Podcast. And so in this episode, we're going to talk about that leadership, leading with vulnerability, service, and really a bunch of other wisdom that he brings to this conversation. So sit back and enjoy this conversation. Yuma, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's good to be on here. It's good to be on this this side of the podcast as the guest instead of the host. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, as you mentioned, you have a podcast, which we'll get into later. Uh, and I think that your podcast is extremely unique and candidly really, really valuable, um, especially to leaders. So we will talk more about that later. But let's just start with, you know, for the sake of our listeners, um, your background, where'd you grow up and what has been your journey up to now? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as you said, my name's Yuma. You don't hear a lot of Yumas. I might be the only Yuma you ever interview on your podcast. So far, uh, yes. A couple, uh, couple of questions I get with that is no, I'm not from Yuma, Arizona. And no, my parents aren't hippies, right? That's <laughs> the first two things that always come out when they tell people my first name. But born and raised in New Mexico on a cattle ranching out there. You know, I grew up uh, at some point, you know, having three or 400 mother cows through 8,000 head of, of cattle that we used to bring up from Mexico to fatten up and then send off to, you know, to produce beef. Um, and I knew early on doing all that, that that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life because uh, ranching work is pretty intensive work. Um, so I wanted to try something different and get out of New Mexico. Um, sports didn't work out. I had some opportunities in playing basketball, but it didn't work out where I wanted. And to be honest, I probably wasn't ready for college at the time anyway. And, uh, I, my brother's prior service and I spoke to him and I was going to kind of follow his path into the military. And he was an 11 Mike back when there was, uh, the mechanized infantry because he was 11 series, uh, Bradley driver during the first Gulf war. And that's what I was going to do. And, uh, he luckily got a hold of me and said, don't do that breaking track is no fun. It's fun driving a Bradley for a minute, but then you have to clean the thing every time you come back from the field. So he said, go be a ranger because he had originally had a ranger contract and some stuff didn't work out. So that's what I did. I joined the army straight out of high school, uh, um, came in, did everything, you know, came to Fort Benning, came into the Southeast for the first time, leaving the, you know, the high deserts of New Mexico. And, you know, we got more rain here in Georgia in one day in August than I'd ever seen in my whole life mm -hmm. out there, out there in the desert. Uh, did the whole thing, uh, the basic training thing here, the infantry thing, the ranger selection when it was the indoctrination program back there, and then went to 1st Ranger Battalion down in, uh, at 175 on the beach, uh, you, which you're very familiar with. And I spent in total about uh, 14 years at 1st Ranger Battalion, um, went there, met my wife while I was there. She was going to school in SCAD. Um, we got married uh, in 2006, and uh, through that time, we've had four kids. I've had some unique assignments. I got to go to Australia. That was my second assignment after uh, First Ranger Battalion. Got to embed with the commandos over there and uh, run around with the Aussies for a couple years. Uh, we had a daughter while we were over there, so we always had a tie to Australia, which is really mm. cool. 
That is cool. Um, and then from there, I came back to, you know, back where everybody comes who's in the army infantry. I came back home to, to Fort Benning, Georgia, the third Ranger battalion was able to serve there, you know, fortunate enough to serve there as a company first sergeant operations star major. And then, you know, I came up on the 20 year mark here and I'm about to, I decided to hang it up and quit chasing it after the 16 deployments and all the time gone and try to invest back some time into, into the family. So there's a little elevator pitch of, you know, who Yuma is and, and where I came from. Yeah. I, I think a lot of our listeners have heard me talk about uh, the leadership capacity and excellence of, of the Ranger Regiment. So I want to highlight that a little bit. So let's start with, you know, maybe for your time in 175 or maybe the first 10 years um, in the Ranger units, what, like name, name something that jumped out at you or that really left a mark on you from a, from a leadership perspective, particularly early on. So junior leadership thinking. Right, right. Uh, there's a there's a story that I always tell. It's about, you know, when I was a high school basketball player and being on that team environment and being in the hallway about to run onto the basketball court, having, you know, Metallica inner Sandman's playing in the background, you know, and uh, I remember I had an epiphany in that moment. I said, I wish I could capture this and do it for the rest of my life. Right. And I spoke to one of my teammates who was there at the time. And it was just, it was such an awesome time for our basketball program as, as me and just kind of being part of a team and part of being part of that. And I had that same epiphany, you know, years later, years removed, um, you know, about eight years removed on the back of a CH 47 loaded up with a, you know, all my Ranger brethren and the attachments that we had and we're coming in the infill in Iraq. And I had, I was, it was very similar to that locker room, you know, that hallway we're in a tight knit. I'm with my friends and my team. And it dawned on me. I was like, Oh my God, you, you did it. You yeah. were able to replicate that time in high school. You found your purpose and passion with this group, with these people and ran off of that aircraft and into, you know, and what we did, you know, what I did for the last 20 years. And, and that's really what drew me to the organization. You know, what drew me here was in, I didn't know anything about the Ranger regiment coming in. Right. I didn't know much about it other than they were an elite group, but once I got in, it was the people. I mean, it was just the people that kept me there. Um, the, level of accountability that every day I showed up to work, I had to prove myself, which was the same. I had to be as an athlete. You had to prove yourself yeah. every single day. You couldn't take a day off. And just the level that I came to personally being around that type of people, the things I intrinsically was able to motivate, motivate myself to do. And then in turn, as I grew as a leader, as younger people, you know, came in that were in my shoes and then bringing them up and instilling that leadership in them and that team environment, it was, that's what just drew me into the organization. And that's what ultimately kept me there was, was the people over, you know, over the past 20 years and particularly in that first 10 years. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. It's so funny how a lot of folks that serve have those similar moments. So I remember distinctly a moment where I was in the back of a CH 47 in Iraq and just thinking there's, dangerous mission had no idea what was going to happen next but like there's nowhere i would rather be in the entire world than right here right now Absolutely. now at the moment that i had that um epiphany i didn't have i wasn't married yet so yeah <laughs> it gives me a little bit of, e easier uh to say that but you know one thing that you've heard this all the time one thing they say about the ranger regiment is it's hard to get there but it's even harder to stay there uh so i think you're longevity there is, is quite a testament to your professionalism and your leadership as well. Um, so same question, except kind of go to the back half. So yeah. your time in company and battalion level leadership at 375 yeah. and regimental headquarters, um, what is a leadership lesson that left a mark on you there? Yeah. So when I went, you know, 
I, I was fortunate enough. I left 175, went to Australia and got to do that and see all of that and came back to third range battalion. And I actually got put into the Delta company, right. As the company first sergeant. So I got put into a leadership role for listeners don't know. And our Delta company is a specialty platoon. So reconnaissance snipers, um, you know, technical guys, stuff that I had never done. You know, i never went to sniper school. I was never a reconnaissance guy. I was never a dog handler or a mortarman. So as a senior leader, I got put in charge of a company where I had no experience, hands-on experience other than just leadership acumen. Right. So that was a great position for me to realize how to leverage the people around you to make the best that you could of, of the situation. It, I didn't have to be the best mortarman. I had to be the best to understand what they needed so I could enable their training and them in combat. So uh, it was kind of nice. I would get, I was able to go back down to a lower level to learn again. I had to relearn. I had to learn systems and processes and equipment that I hadn't learned and stimulate a learning side that I hadn't used in a while because I was so familiar with where I came from that it made me appreciate learning again, lifelong learning. And it made me appreciate what they did. And it made me understand how I could enable them to be successful in, in training and, and in combat. So that was probably the best thing for me was it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me was being pulled out of my comfort zone and having to lead people that I'd never had experience in what they did. So that's the biggest thing from there in that perspective as in the company battalion level. And then I moved up to the regimental level and the regiment stood up the phalanx program. So the phalanx program is, you know, our, the regiment's own internal leader professional development program, right? And it's focused on developing um, the leaders and it's focused on helping them transition when they leave. Because you and I both, Jeff, we've seen our brothers and sisters arms have hard transitions, mm -hmm. right? And as the regiment, we could either stand by and look at it and, you know, say, you know, well, there's nothing we can do about it, or we can become proactive and try to take care of the problem. And that's, that's what we did. That's what Colonel Brown did at the time is by putting in that program is um, the army journey is going to end for everybody someday, right? It's inevitable. It's going to end. And you're still going to have to do something when you get out. Cause you're not going to be 65 years old. Even if you do 30 years as an enlisted, you're not going to be 65 and you're gonna have to go get another job most likely. So helping rangers transition to be more successful is great for the individual. And it's also great for the organization because it shows you're taking care of your number one priority, your, your people. Right. So I, I moved into the phalanx program. We set up some phenomenal things in the phalanx program. You know, NCOs have to go to college now before they can promote to be a platoon sergeant or a company first sergeant. Um, it sounds like a little thing, but it's, you know, it had took ripple effect, a lot of pushback at first. I didn't join the army to go to college. You know, I didn't join the army to go to college, but once they got in there and saw how easy it was and that we weren't really asking them to do much, it created a com competition between some of those guys, as you know, the personalities mm -hmm. took over. So Rangers started to see what they were intrinsically worth outside of the organization or in, in an educational environment. Cause a lot of Rangers came from where I came from a ranch in New Mexico or, uh, you know, not, they didn't come from a lot. So when I tell them you can go to Auburn or Emory university or go to school here, get a degree in this and the army have paid for it. You just don't see yourself there because you weren't surrounded by it growing up. But once we start getting a few in there, you know, I think we've had seven or eight go through Emory's MBA program now and our first sergeants enrolled in Ohio state's MBA program. People are starting to see, I can take this leadership that I've learned here in this 
a lead organization and take it to the next the next phase of my life through education and and, and employment. So it was a blessing to do that to be able to take care of our guys in that that way our rangers for that last you know year that I was um in in the ranger regiment I'm still in but I'll retire here in a couple months but just to take you know actually do what we say and take care of our number one asset the people that's that was the that was a great great time for me yeah one of the things that you mentioned a second ago which which leads into the failings and we'll talk more about that but you mentioned how you were put in a position to lead other experts that you didn't have you know, that specific expertise. I think that is one of the most profound leadership concepts out there. Right, right. That what you said exactly is utilizing the people around you to accomplish the mission. And whether or not you have expertise in all the you know skill sets that you're leading, just that mentality, whether you have yeah. the expertise or not, yeah. is sort of the difference between I think a good leader and a great leader from my perspective as a young officer in the military, I tried to approach it with a sense of humility, but that was sort of the case as well. A young platoon leader has been in the army a year or two and is sort of leading enlisted in NCOs that have been in 10, 15 years. Um, so yeah. I had to be proficient in things like weapons and tactics and, and processes and procedures and things like that. But I, I wasn't fooling myself to think I was the expert over anybody else. So yeah. that's for a junior officer, that's, that's a, a really good lesson to keep. Right. Um, and then it's so applicable everywhere else. I mean, if Absolutely. you're, if you're the CEO of a company, you are not going to have a PhD in human resources and a master's right. in accounting and a master's in, you know, engineering or whatever your company does, you're, you're going to have to, you know, spread your influence and, and use those around you to accomplish the mission. And that's sort of what you wound up doing with the failings program. And that's how you and I met, but you, again, you weren't an HR person. No, yeah. you had to become one real quick, right? right. And it was all in that mission of how to serve those Rangers that whose lives could really be um, enhanced by what you were doing. And last thing I'll say is that, you know, I, I like to say that the failings program, it rivals any HR program, certainly in the military, but also in, in corporate America. Right. I mean, corporate America has education programs or reimburse you and things like that, but they don't approach you typically with pillars of your whole life for your, you know, 360 degree wellness. Right. Um, and so that's why it's really cool to see and, and to volunteer with and see kind of what you did standing that up. Yeah, I think it's what you said there. The the best leaders I know that I've ever had were the best connectors, right? They that's were the right. best at connecting me to what the, the, the asset or the training that I needed. They weren't always the subject matter expert, right? And that, that's something I learned growing through the army through all my time in the regiment. When I was a Sergeant E5, I was the best at that specific because I had a small team and I had to be the most proficient mm -hmm. at tasks and skills. But as you go up and you're broadened and your reach broadens, you're not going to be the expert everywhere. So learning how to connect and making those relationships so you can point people in the right way was, was key at the younger age. And then when I became part of the phalanx, it was all about relationship building and the funny thing about the phalanx, you know, internally, we thought they thought, you know, it's a it's an education program and a transition assistance program. And when in reality, it was a retention program. Right. If you show your people yeah. that you're going to invest in them and take care of them, because that's probably the biggest thing that somebody that's getting out of the army wonders is what I'm going to do when I get out. 
Yep. Well, if you can take that away and say, Hey, you can get out in five years with a degree and do this, or you can stay in for 20 and get so much education or certificates and, and do this, then you don't have that worry anymore. Cause you, you know, you know what you're going to do. And that's what I would see all the time with younger um, Rangers when they would come in is, you know, they didn't really have a plan. And, and just being able to sit there and mentor them and say, Hey, you don't have to run out the exit door. You can, yeah. well, you can walk to the exit door. You can open it, look in the hallway and see if you want to go out there. And if you're not ready, stay another year, use the benefits that are given to you. We'll show you how to do it. And I just, you know, we saw quite a few people end up staying in the organization because they saw that the organization had their best interest in mind, not for the short term but for the long term as well. And I think that's the key that any organization can do is, is, is look a little bit deeper down the road and see how you can retain your talent by investing in them. And you get the, you, we've all heard it, you know, what do I do if I invest in this person all this time and energy and they leave me, right? Well, what if, what if you don't invest all this time and energy in them and they stay and you don't maximize the potential of them? I think you're at a greater disadvantage there. Yeah. That is pure gold. And again, I think so applicable. Ultimately, it's a subtle difference, but you mentioned it. If I know that the organization is looking out for my best interests, even if I wind up leaving it, yeah. well, I, I want to stay a part of that yeah. or something like it. I've always had the perspective in organizations, even outside of the military, but the folks that we work with and ultimately that we lead and that we train and we mentor, we want to position them to flourish no matter where they sit. Yes, right. I would like them to stay here with me and all that. But if they have an opportunity outside that's going to provide them more growth and I've equipped them for it, then, hey, I want you to spread your wings and fly. And eventually that reputation builds and that's the type of people you want to work with. Yeah, That's just yeah. you know serving the people rather than serving yourself. And like yeah. you said, if uh, people know that you're going to look out for them, they develop loyalty, but if you don't develop them and they wind up staying, well, they're still going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you bring it. Yeah. There's a great point. There is if they leave on the right terms and they leave, like they thought they were being taken care of. Now you've created a bunch of ambassadors for your organization out That's there, right? right? You've, yep. you've created a bunch of recruiters that you didn't know you created. And it's easy to go the opposite way. You know, we've all heard it when you talk to somebody about a job or, you know, if I talked to my brother, for example, and I said, I'm going to join the Marines. He'd be like, don't join the Marines, right? Don't right. do it. Cause he had a bad experience with the Marines. Um, but convert on the flip side, if they leave after four years and then they run into somebody and they go, they see themselves and that person. And they say, well, this is what I learned in the, this organization. And I think it would be a good path for you. Or even if you're in the business world, if you're saying if somebody's, you know, you got a mentor, somebody, a mentee that's looking for a job. You say, well, I don't have it in my organization now, but I just came from this organization. They are great. I know the people over there. And all of a sudden now you're networking and making relationships. So how your people enter your organization and leave your organization cannot be understated. Oh man. Well said. Uh, so you're in transition now, uh, before we get into what you're working on and what you're focusing on at this point in your life, what are you passionate about? Um, it's, it's, it's two things I'm really, really passionate about. It's, uh, my family, right. Giving back to my family, what, um, you know, I selfishly did loved doing for the past 20 years with the 16 deployments and all that stuff. And number two is just people is just taking care of people. I don't care if you're from the army or, you know, a civilian or, or a, a veteran, 
I just like to see people unlock the greatest potential within themselves so they can have quality and fulfilled lives. Right. Um, and I, I, that's all derived from my own journey in this transition and my own, you know, finally being humble enough and have the courage and vulnerability enough to go and seek mental health and talk to professional and, and really try to understand myself better. Right. Yeah. And I think when I say people, I want to help people understand themselves the best. Cause I don't think, you know, whether I'm talking to a transitioning service member or somebody on the nonprofit, you know, Harris County sports board that I'm a part of a young kid who's playing football for us or a transitioning ranger, you can't be yourself, can't be your most, your best self and do what you want to do until you know who you are. Right. And it really takes some tough conversation with yourself and reflection. And I, I enjoy being that conduit, that, that person that can be there and have those conversations with somebody and help somebody just realize it through all that I've seen and gone through from, you know, a kid for with a, from a divorced family in New Mexico through a ranger operations, star major, you know, there was some hard reflection that I had to do. And if I can ease that for somebody or be an, enable that for somebody that that's what I really enjoy doing. Yeah. And, and one thing that you're doing that is both honoring your family um, throughout what you're doing as well as equipping people like you said, you're passionate about is your podcast. So tell us about your podcast. Yeah. So I, I have the, the leading with vulnerability podcasts. I, I know that's, that's a mouthful and I, I'll just speak a little bit about the vulnerability where that came from. Right. So uh, I entered, I actually, I transitioned out of service. I had a break in service in 2004 and 2005 and came back in and I had a bad transition. It was not good. Right. I did everything that I see guys do now that I, I try to steer them away from. Um, so I was entering my two, about my two year window and I signed up with an, you know, benevolent organization that did transition work. And, uh, I did a zoom class and the facilitator said, you know, you're going to come in and you got to be vulnerable. And to me, vulnerability was straight up one thing. It was a weakness, like, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I, I wrote it down and we went through that, that class. And then I really started researching vulnerability and looking at it and looking at works on it, uh, books on vulnerability, and I started, I put together vulnerability is not a weakness, right? Maybe by definition, weakness is in there, but vulnerability to me, I had to be vulnerable to, to open, open up and go see the mental health and do all of those things. Um, some of the best moments in my life or the best moments in my life are vulnerable moments. Uh, when all yeah. my kids are born and I'm standing there watching the doctor work and there's nothing I can do if something goes wrong, um, I'm very vulnerable, but from that vulnerability, from that, where my, my kids came out of it, or all those times I ran off the back of those CH 47s and Blackhawks vulnerable moments. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen, but such a great, great time. Or even, you know, when we would lose guys overseas and you're, you don't know what you can do about it, but the relationships with the gold star families and stuff that it came with that, those vulnerable times just changed my whole paradigm when I sat down and, you know, reflected on it. And, uh, I was, telling my wife about, you know, the last 20 years of the regiment, the organization and the great people we have, and nobody's really telling their story. And there's a difference between, in my opinion, you know, the uh, quiet professional and the silent professional, mm -hmm. or, yeah. you know, and I think sometimes we are too silent. We don't say anything because I know I joined the service because of what I, you know, what I studied and read about the Vietnam era Rangers and World War II era Rangers. And there's not a lot about that out there about our generation. 
And I just kept telling my wife about it. And she finally, being a good wife, said, would you just shut up and do something about it? Quit talking about it. So from that, I thought, well, the best way to start is just to tell the stories and talk to these rangers that I know that have been through it. So I started the, the podcast and started bringing on guys that I know and interviewing them. And I kind of branched out to the business world so that they, that rangers or anybody who's watching it could see the different perspectives and hopefully transitioning service members could see, hey, I can you know, Don Barden, for example, who's been on there. I want to be an entrepreneur. He said some really great things, lessons learned. I'll, I'll write this down. So it's all goes back to that first, you know, my, my, my passions there is, is taking care of people. I want people to connect with people and hear people's stories and understand that they're not the only ones going through it. They're not the only ones that had to get a divorce in the middle of the deployments or that got wounded and is dealing with mental health. And we're all going through something and it takes people to take care of people, you know, and I, I'm, yeah. I was really tired of watching my friends commit suicide or get divorced or go down a bad path in that first two years when they got out because they didn't understand their purpose and they were too proud to ask for help and to ask for help. You got to be vulnerable. So I, bottom line up front, I just, I wanted to help people. And this was the medium I chose up front, front to do it. And it's tremendous. So for the listeners, go check it out immediately. Go subscribe, go support them. Uh, it's not just military folks. Uh, Yuma's interviewed folks from the John Maxwell organization um, and, and others in academic leadership, entrepreneurship. There is a lot of military and kind of special operations in there, but those lessons are so transferable. I mean, you interviewed a chaplain. That was yeah. one, of, one of the best conversations I've ever heard. So a lot of those very valuable things are in there. So I'm going to flip the script on you. And you talked about uh, why vulnerability is important. And you asked yeah. this to everybody on yours. So I'm going to ask you, but what is okay. the definition of vulnerability for you? What does it mean to you? Uh, vulnerability to me is uh, owning your greatest self without fear or hesitation. Because uh, I think sometimes that's what we do. We, we set back and we don't speak up when we know we should have. And we regret it, right? And vulnerability is you don't live with that regret anymore. You're your truest self and you, and you are so emotionally equipped, emotionally intelligent, understand yourself so well that it doesn't, you're okay with it. You're okay with, with speaking up when you need to and, and putting yourself out there when you know it's necessary and just being your greatest self that you know is possible. That's what vulnerability as base means to me now. Well said. That's awesome. And from a leadership perspective, vulnerability is, is how relationships are built. You know, right. the, the whole tough guy, fake facade leader uh, persona doesn't, doesn't work anymore. No, in my opinion, Yeah, B both in or out of the military. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, that's a good, it's a change that I've got to see, you know, in the last 20 years um, with uh, you know, everything that happened in Afghanistan, everything we lost over there and everybody we lost, um, we learned a lot of lessons and grew as an organization, grew as people, grew as leaders, leaps and bounds faster than we would have without it, right? So I think I'm a firm believer in anything, you know, is hunt the good stuff, find out what you, what the good that came out of it and, and try to, you know, maximize that. And I think that's what the organization has done that we're starting to do with, uh, with our people and people are starting to do. Um, but yeah, it's uh, leadership is leadership is influence, right? And mm -hmm. that's another word that's kind of dirty these days, because if you think of an influencer, it's, uh, it's somebody out there, you know, halfway dressed on an Instagram account trying to sell something to you. But 
at the base of it, leadership is influence and it's influencing people, hopefully for the greater good, you know, of the organization and self at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Another question that you like to ask folks that I'll turn back to you is what is one thing that you could tell your younger self knowing oh, what you know now? Yeah, I think uh, um, that's a really good question. That is a good question that I always throw to people. And I think what I would tell my younger self is um, just be patient, be a little bit more patient. Uh, like I said, walk to that exit door, don't run to it. And that's, that's with everything that's in, in parenting and being a husband, um, um, being a leader is exercise a little bit more patience is what I tell myself. Cause there were times earlier in my career, I didn't have as much patience as I should have, you know, I exited the army before I should have, um, you know, I was a little bit more of an abrasive leader when I was younger. I wasn't as patient as a, as I could have been. And with patience, it comes perspective, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and perspective, I think is probably maybe the most powerful word in the English language. Cause when you change your perspective, it changes everything. And I think the only way to really do that is to, is to be patient. So I tell myself to be a little more, more patient and, and, and change your perspective a few more times before making some of those decisions I made as a, as a younger enlisted individual. Well done. Well done. Well, you mentioned, or I mentioned a few minutes ago, how you interviewed a chaplain and, and my co-host, Brian, who's not with us in this conversation, but he, he kind of works in church leadership circles. So uh, what, what role does faith play in, in your perspective and your life and journey? Yeah, faith. So I've had a, you know, um, on and off relationship with faith, to be honest, mm-hmm. right? Um, I grew up in, in the faith, you know, mom taking me to church every Sunday, you know, my mom's still really part of her church that she's in now. Um, I, and I've struggled with it, right? It was just some of the things I've seen and done overseas and the way I've seen other humans treat other humans. I really struggled with some of my faith. And then um, in the last probably five years, I've kind of found my way back to, the, to my faith. And it, it's good. It's, it's, it's still something I'm working on and trying to get back. And it all goes back to understanding of self and, and you know, trying to f- understand where I fit in this and still dealing with some of those demons from, from the past, the things seen and done. But faith is super important. It's something I'm trying to be the example and set for, for my kids, you know, to have something to hold on to that uh, the life is greater than you. It's greater than the moment that you're in. It's There's something greater to it that nothing out here that we see just happened right from a big bang. In my opinion, there's it's just too grand and too great for it to just be something that just spontaneously happened. Right. So faith plays a big role and it's starting to come back and play a bigger role. But it's it's been a it's been a challenge. It really has. Yeah, I think everybody goes through those up and uh, ups and downs, especially when they face kind of the, the tough things through life. And the other thing is that it's a it's a constant journey anyways, just like anything else. Uh, you don't arrive to the perfect faith. You're always right. pursuing um, right. becoming more like Jesus, in my opinion. So uh, you're getting ready to retire. Like you said, you're working on the podcast. So what's next? What does your future look like? Where's you in five, 10, 20 years? That's a, that's a great question. Right. And I'll go back to my, uh, uh, patience. So if you go back a year ago, I was scared to death and think I was good. You know, like, what am I going to do when I get out? And, you know, um, I needed to slow down and have a little patience and, and really come into perspective, put things in perspective. I'm not sure exactly what, what it holds. You know, I've, I've put some things in place, you know, finished my undergraduate degree, you know, at like a good Ranger NCO, I waited till 20 years to, to do that. You know, the last, last minute before infill and knock it out. Um, but I, I'm not sure what's next, uh, but I do know for sure it'll be helping people, right? 
um, yeah. in whatever aspect it is, it's not really about what I do, right? It's about what effect I have when I'm doing it, right? And it doesn't matter if I'm uh, dropping burgers on a on a on a on a line in McDonald's. I'm going to take care of people. That's going to be my priority. It's not going to be the work that defines me. It's going to be how I affect somebody's life that defines me, right? And hopefully, I can find something uh, I'm passionate about and love to do. And I'm just going to be a little patient, use some faith, and and uh, and hope and pray for the for the best that life finds a way, right? To to, mm-hmm. to use it. I, I hope that's what happens. And it's all about, like you said, it's about relationships um, and through the podcast and what I've done, I've built some great relationships and it's now just kind of try to step back and see what, what direction I want to go and, and having the ability to say no for the first time in my life and, uh, and yeah. choice. It's so strange. It's odd. And thinking, even if I do commit to something that it's not permanent, I can always, you know, pivot yeah. and do something else. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. It's hard to do, but I'm not sure what it is, but I know it'll be in the, in the people space one way or the other. And, and, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I tell you that. Awesome. Yuma, it's been great. Uh, someone wants to reach out to you, learn more about you or check out your podcast or website. What's the best way for them to, to follow up with you and really to follow you. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're on LinkedIn, the best way on LinkedIn is just connect with me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message and you can connect to any, anything on there. And then, uh, you can reach me, uh, on, um, Instagram, YouTube is that leading with vulnerability or we're, we're on there. You can always shoot me a message. And then I'm at leading with vulnerability at gmail.com. If you wanted to shoot me an email and, uh, happy to follow up and love having conversations with people that fires me up. And we will link the website to the show oh, notes as well. Appreciate so for it. Folks to get there. Yeah. Um, if there's one thing that I noticed throughout this whole conversation and your perspective of what you've learned and the humility that you've brought is that you are now full of wisdom, basically. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for, for bringing that. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, and everybody go check out leading with vulnerability. So Yuma, once again, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jeff. I really do appreciate it. Vulnerability, I think that's something that can equip us to serve others, not as a task, but as a purpose.